Welcome to Good Money Habits. This is Julia Shorninghouse. This episode is of general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs and may not be appropriate to you. Well, I'm coming to you from London this morning. Uh, As you've probably already figured out, I'm not in a recording studio. I'm back recording on my phone. And it's somewhat ironic um, in that when I started recording Good Money Habits back in March 2020 when the pandemic was just emerging. It was because of my concerns around the potential impact that would have on families and businesses and people through no fault of their own finding themselves in incredibly tough financial circumstances uh, and wanted to provide some general information and hopefully some tips um, to help people through that time. Um, I've managed to miss COVID um, entirely up until now and obviously picked it up on the plane and I'm here in isolation in our apartment. We're over here um, to visit my husband's family. We're off to the Netherlands next and very much looking forward to spending um, precious family time with our, our Dutch relatives. Uh, it's really interesting being here in London at the moment. There are um, incredible train strikes and nurses striking and postal workers are striking and it does feel to some degree like this might just be the epicentre or if you like a magnification of what is going on around the world which leads me to why I'm actually recording this episode. I think it's been roughly eight months um, since I recorded the last one and I said at that time that I would um, come and record again if I felt there was something that was worth sharing And what I've been thinking about over the last few months is that uh, given the quite extreme structural imbalances we're seeing around the world and the resulting inflation and rapidly rising interest rates and no doubt the concern and worry and anxiety that'll be creating for some people, um, particularly those who have um, mortgages, um, I thought it might be helpful to give you my take on how we've ended up where we are where are we exactly and what are things, how are things likely to play out? And importantly, at a time when things feel quite uncertain and out of control, how can you, pardon me, regain a bit of control again just through some simple steps? So let's take a step back in time and I'm going to take you back to roughly the global financial crisis, 2007, 2008. Now, at that time, uh, central banks around the world were able to rapidly cut interest rates to provide some relief to households and businesses who were struggling in the GFC. And they were able to do that because we really had no inflation to speak of. And in fact, we haven't had inflation for a couple of decades now. And there's a few important reasons for that. One is um, an ageing population around the world is quite deflationary. People don't spend as much as they get older. And and I will note that in in talking this through, I am really simplifying it. And I apologise if it's a little bit too simple at times, but I'm just really conscious of uh, trying to make this uh, relatable and hopefully understandable. Uh, The second factor is technology. So technology is quite deflationary. and, And a good example of that that I'm sure we can all relate to is think about how much banks have changed through technology and deploying technology over the last 20 years. You can barely find a branch these days. Um, I started my career actually as a bank teller um, many, many years ago. Um, 
But the, the reality is with technology, all of our banking, the majority of it now happens online. Therefore, the cost to serve and the cost to provide those banking services has significantly shrunk from what it was many years ago. It's a good example of where technology can provide efficiencies and drive down the cost to serve and therefore create that kind of deflationary force that goes with it. The third factor that I think is important to mention here is globalisation. So up until 2022, when the Ukraine war broke out, we were really living in a heading towards a very much a globalised world. So I'm not going to get into the political side of it or the nuances around us sleepwalking into that situation. But the reality is we were quite happy to go and source products and services from the lowest possible source in most instances and that then led to that deflationary force coming through. So here we are today in 2022, we're two years off the back of the pandemic and the response from governments around the world when the pandemic broke out was to provide support and safety nets, unquestioned safety nets. And if you think about some of the support that was provided at that time, it was almost unfathomable to have thought that those things would have happened prior to that situation evolving. Things like the banks just completely stopping the requirement to make repayments into your loans and just capitalising um, interest uh, as it accrued. You know, no businesses were made insolvent during that time and there was a lot of um, support and, and government stimulus that was handed out. And that was replicated all over the world. And I think on reflection, you know, at that time, in fairness to governments, they didn't know how bad it was going to be. They didn't know if a vaccine would emerge. They just really didn't know how wide and deep that hole was that they had to fill to enable people to feel safe and secure. On reflection, that support was unevenly distributed. It was, in some cases, excessive. In other cases, it was absolutely necessary. But it created a lot of imbalance and it turned out that a lot of households, and I'm generalising here, but a lot of households and businesses were actually able to accrue significant savings. And with those savings, the, and having been locked down for a very long period of time, there was a pent up demand. And at a time when people had savings and had money to potentially make purchases and buy things they wouldn't otherwise normally do or be able to do, they probably couldn't get what they wanted because the supply chains had broken down. So you had this demand and supply break coming from both sides and the effect of that, I'm significantly simplifying this, but that saw inflation break out for the first time in many, many years. And it's possible that things might have settled and rebalanced, but what we couldn't have predicted was that the Ukraine war was going to break out and the necessary sanctions that were applied by the EU and America and other democracies around the world that were absolutely necessary were always going to have a ricochet effect. And the energy crisis that it triggered really just added fuel to that inflationary fire at precisely the wrong time. Unfortunately, that's the price, I guess, that we have to pay to push back to ensure that the world order remains as it is. And who knows how that situation is going to ultimately play out. But unfortunately, 
it has resulted in reserve banks and around the world and the Reserve Bank of Australia being forced to raise rates at the fastest pace we've ever seen in history. And if that seems a little bit perverse to be doing that when people are finding it so hard to get by, what's going on here? The best way for me to, to explain it is to again take you back in time, take you back in history. So the, the governor of the uh, Reserve Bank in America, Paul Volcker, in the early 80s, was trying to deal with an inflationary breakout that emerged from the 1970s oil crisis. And you kind of have to go back to the 1970s to find a point in time that was anything like what we're going through at the moment. And the way Volcker decided to react to that situation was to raise rates, to try and cool things down, to put the brakes on, to slow down demand. Um, and when inflation started to, when it peaked and then started to fall away, he stopped applying the brakes and stopped increasing interest rates. And unfortunately, inflation had already embedded further than what they had realised, and then inflation absolutely tore off again. And for those of you listening, you may have either experienced personally or you will recall your parents talking about interest rates of 15, 16, 17% at that time. And unfortunately, the, the, bank, the banks around the world were left with no choice but to do that because unfortunately, it's the only tool we have to tame inflation and it's an incredibly blunt tool. And that is what the reserve banks today are trying to avoid. They're trying to avoid that extreme situation. Having said that, with the size of mortgages in some states of Australia, with interest rates, variable interest rates where they are today, they're getting pretty close to what that portion of household spend towards a mortgage was back when interest rates were 16, 17, 18%. So that's quite concerning. I imagine for Phil Lowe, who's our Reserve Bank Governor at the moment, and something that they're going to have to balance off incredibly carefully. If you think about it like this, the Reserve Banks are well aware that by continuing to raise rates, the likelihood is that they're going to cause recessions around the world. I would argue that the UK is already in a recession. Europe will most, I would argue, would also be very close to being a recession. If not, it will be in the next few months. Um, Australia may once again prove to be the lucky country. And if you think about it, we have an awful lot of what the rest of the world wants or needs right now. Uh, which takes me to the forward-looking position in that the situation looking forward is quite different and we view 2022 as a bit of a line in the sand or actually a firm line in the sand or a regime change. So we've now got some new forces in play that are inflationary and are likely to be sticky. And those forces include things like deglobalisation. So in the same way that globalisation was inflationary, deglobalisation is inflationary. And what I'm referring to there is we now have, if you like, a bifurcated world. So we almost have Russia and China and Africa, etc., on one side and Australia and the UK and Europe and the US and India and Japan, etc., on the other side, and you're starting to see supply chains disconnect between the two as we navigate 
this geopolitically difficult time and that process is naturally going to be inflationary. The other thing we're seeing is countries around the world, because of that geopolitical risk, starting to build or try to secure sovereign reserves again. We haven't seen that for many, many decades. Back in the 40s, it might have been something like gold that was stockpiled. Today, countries are very concerned about and very much looking to secure energy supplies and food security. Again, which leads me back to Australia, uh, two things that we have an abundance of. Also security for things like iron ore and for rare earths that are very much going to be needed into the future. And um, semiconductors is the other area, which is um, a bit like a Cold War, really, what's going on in semiconductors, but I won't waste too much time on that, except to say that overall those forces together with the fact that we're seeing increased defence spending around the world, that is also inflationary. Now, these are things that we don't feel are necessarily going to fall away anytime soon. So we think it's unlikely that we're going to end back with in, back in a situation where inflation is at the levels it was pre-2022 and the look forward is that we're more likely to see, dare I say, more normalised in inflation. It's very high at the moment. It will come down, uh, particularly with these interest rate rises that are being um, implemented at the moment. Um, but we're not done yet is the other thing, unfortunately. I, for the reasons that I've mentioned, we think reserve banks understand they may need to go a little bit further than what is going to be comfortable for all of us. But their thinking is that they'd rather, if we're going to have a recession, have a short, sharp recession then then see inflation really dig in like it did in the 1980s and have a much longer runway of inflation, which is what they're wanting to avoid. So thinking about all of these things, what are some of the things that we can do to start to regain control and take some steps, understanding that things are going to potentially be a little bit tight and inflation is likely to still run relatively higher for an extended period of time. The first thing I'd point to is if you have a mortgage. In Australia, a lot of households did lock in rates. They have fixed rate mortgages or part fixed rate mortgages. A lot of those are going to be rolling off in the next six months if they haven't already, the next six months, one year and two years. A really simple thing to do, an important thing to do, is look at what your total outstanding mortgage is, apply what a typical variable rate is at the moment, and if you've got a variable rate loan at the moment, tip the extra amount in now. Start getting used to making those higher payments if you're not already doing that. Easier said than done, but it comes back to earn more than what you're spending. So it is a good time to have a look at your budget and think about where you might be able to make a few adjustments or tweaks now. Even if you've got savings, if your savings are starting to deplete, um, it's clearly a signal that you're spending more than you're earning. Um, so think about where you might be able to make some changes today that um, you can just get used to over time. I'm not saying this is easy, I know it's not. Um, I'm, I'm listening to the news here and there are many, many families here in the UK who are simply unable to turn their heating on. 
um, you know, inflation here in, in the UK is over 10%, which is incredibly high, frightening level of inflation, actually. And no wonder that we're now seeing all the strikes that are going on and a, and a terrible job for governments to walk that tightrope of what do they do to deal with this situation without adding to inflation. Um, being here in the UK, you know, it's interesting that Liz Truss uh, ran straight into the brick wall. I think it's so incredible that um, she, in, in her position, did not realise the impact of what the tax cuts that she was suggesting was going to have. Um, and that's really caused a lot of brand damage um, for the UK. And um, it is quite worri worrisome over here and makes me very grateful for our situation and, and where we are in Australia at the moment. So for those of you that are wanting to invest, um, it's really interesting at the moment to consider the pre-2022 environment and the post-2022 environment. So in a really low inflationary environment where the cost of money before was virtually free, in some countries, interest rates were negative. You know, it was incredible that we saw mortgages at 1.98% at one, at one point. Where you've got money that's so incredibly cheap, that lends itself to growth companies, tech companies, companies that, that are not necessarily making a profit today, but hope to do so in the future to be able to access capital to invest for future growth and earnings. But now that the cost of money is significantly higher and the speed at which, which that has changed has caught a lot of people off guard, the bubbles that were blown and created by that very, very cheap money that we saw emerge in housing, we've seen it in the share market, we saw it in the bond market, we saw it in the crypto market, they are all now rebalancing. And as uncomfortable as that is, what is reassuring to some degree is that now that we've got inflation and governments can't step in and implement tax cuts or lower interest rates, we are seeing the natural economic cycle play out. I think of it a little bit, a bit like a bushfire um, in Australia. So if you get too much overgrowth, it's obviously really, really dangerous and the more overgrowth, the bigger the bushfire that you're potentially going to have come, come through, which is why we do so much backburning in Australia. I'd say the same was similar leading up to 2022. We had too much overgrowth. We, we, got, we blew too many bubbles in asset classes with, with free money. And now this bushfire is coming through and it's um, very, very painful. And I don't want to be insensitive to that but it's also very, very necessary for us to get some balance back and get rid of the imbalances that are out there so that quality shoots can start to come back through. Because looking forward, where the cost of money is higher, it makes sense that when you're investing, you go back to fundamentals. So my rule of thumb is that I will never ever invest in anything unless I really understand it. And I believe there's good management. I understand the sector. Um, understand if there's low balance sheet, uh, low debt on the balance sheet, is it paying good dividends? I'm very, very conscious of diversification, as you know, and those kinds of things. So if you're in a position where you're looking to invest, go back to the fundamentals of diversification and compounding. Um, it's going to be volatile, I suspect, um, as we work through this period. Um, but something that um, uh, you might consider is deploying um, a dollar cost averaging approach. And we spoke about this right in the 
beginning series of the Good Money Habits podcast, um, whereby you invest a regular amount every month. And what that means is that over time, in some months, the market might be higher, in other months, it might be lower, in others, it might be more around an average. But over the long term, you end up smoothing out your entry. And in many respects, as long as you have a long term investment horizon of five to seven years, you can ride out the highs and lows and you get an averaging effect coming through when you invest. That's what my husband and I are personally doing at the moment with our savings as we're trying to navigate this landscape as well. Um, and don't um, underestimate the power of compounding. I, I did touch on um, mortgages earlier and paying a little bit um, extra now as if your mortgage was on a full variable rate. Um, a good idea is to jump onto the calculators. So the Money Smart website, ASIC Money Smart website's got some brilliant calculators on this. And I find it's really motivating to actually put the figures in because it might not seem like a lot and it might not feel like you're making much of a dent. But when you look at the calculators, if you consistently put extra into your mortgage, you might be surprised at how much interest you'll save. And also think about it as putting a little bit of a protective barrier around you. Now, finally, I guess, as we're um, heading into the Christmas period, um, this can be quite a tricky time for people financially as there can be quite a bit of pressure around buying Christmas presents and things like that. Um, it's interesting at the moment, I'm, um, I was supposed to be catching up with one of my very dear friends who lives in the UK and obviously we can't see each other. We're going to chat with each other on the phone, but she's on, on route here to London at the moment actually and um, bless her, she's made me some fruit mince pies. She, she knows they're my favourite thing in the world um, and that might just be one of the most um, special Christmas gifts I get this year. Really, really sweet of her. And I, I just say that because don't underestimate the importance of uh, and the power of just doing something that, that requires, you know, your time and, and um, heartfelt energy. Um, you know, things like writing a, a beautiful Christmas letter or a Christmas note um, or still buying a gift, but maybe just, just containing it a little bit. If you're feeling like you're putting money on a credit card for Christmas presents, it's obviously um, what you want to avoid if you can. Um, and I know it's easier said than done, but just uh, try to yeah, think about, think outside the square and think about other ways that you might be able to um, tell people um, how much you care about them. So on that note, um, I just wanted to finish off by wishing you all a Merry Christmas. Um, I apologise if this uh, podcast has seemed like a little bit of a ramble. Um, I literally am just speaking off the cuff here, um, but it felt appropriate at the moment to be doing that. I hope it's been helpful. I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Um, for those of you um, who will find Christmas a difficult time, um, if you are missing loved ones, thinking of you as well. Um, I'm going to go and pop on the kettle, make a cup of tea and can't wait for my fruit mince pie to arrive. <laughs>